One of the things I enjoy doing, uh, well, I enjoy, I enjoy watching construction projects. That comes in handy, and it, and, it, and, it can be, and it can be difficult. When the weather was nicer and they were actually doing something out here besides piling dirt on the corner, um, I would have my window open, you know, so I could, I could look out and see what they were doing. And uh, I just kind of enjoy it. I enjoy something. I, I, enjoy, I find how they build something to be very interesting. Uh, it, it's it's just interesting to me uh, when they I've been going down State Street going east on State Street uh, again more lately than I have in the summer I don't seem to go that way as much in the fall I start up again doing a service at St. Anne's uh, so I go over that way and with the things going on with Barb you know and I've been going back and forth uh, through that way a little bit more and I've enjoyed kind of watching watching the progress there as they do it, and at first when they get started, you really don't know what they're, it's kind of like, are you sure you should be doing that over there, you know? Um, they got these plans and, and stuff, and there's stakes out there, and it's like, I think you might have that in the wrong spot, you know? Uh, but once again, they didn't call me to ask what I thought, so they went ahead with it anyway. And uh, it's been it's been very interesting to see uh, how they have been doing that. Um, been watching the new bridge over Spiron Creek, and I don't know, it's about, it's, Five, seven, ten feet taller than, higher than the other road, and I we went by the other day, and I said to Ginny, "How'd you like to be the guys at the bottom? You know, uh, your house is here, and you see the roads up there now, and because they don't want it to get flooded, and yet I'm living down here. Just it was a thought that crossed my mind. And then one day last week, they put this bridge across uh, there. That's that is a, a bridge for part of the trail, and it goes across there. It used to be years ago. A viaduct. Well, that's what we should you call them viaducts here. Okay, uh, I just never know. Sometimes they say something. We call them in Chicago, and uh, uh, Jenny tells her students about it. You know, uh, wrote a math problem for her students. It's something about uh, on the expressway, and several of them came up to her and said, "What's an expressway?" You know. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, they they put the, the viaduct for the trains used to go across there, and they tore that down years ago. I guess I got tired of trucks getting stuck underneath it, and. Um, then they actually came in and they knocked the hills down where they were. And I thought to myself, well, I thought they were putting a bridge across. Well, then they started piling up this dirt again and putting it in there. And then they surrounded, they put these concrete things, as you see there. They put those pilings in uh, on both sides. And they've been building that up kind of all summer uh, uh, doing that. They brought that bridge in in one piece. It was completely built. They didn't build it in place. It came in on a on a truck. And they, you see those two, or maybe you don't, those two yellow straps there. Uh, they picked it up with that big crane that's behind it, swung it around, and set it on there. And uh, I was thinking to myself, had to have that measurement right, didn't you? I mean, they're coming in, it's, it's done, buddy. You know, and it's kind of, uh, we were off a little bit. Uh, you know, the uh, I don't remember, I, I wasn't there for the whole thing, but I was glad I wasn't the guy that had to stretch the tape across State Street. And uh, I know they don't really do it like that, but it's just kind of fun to think. If you think like me, you know, life's going to be more fun for you. It just is. I, uh, uh, well, let's not get sidetracked too much. Anyway, um, you know, but they, they, they had to have those measurements right and stuck it right in there. And it was very interesting. Uh, and it, it reminded me, I remembered watching a documentary about how they built uh, the Mackinac Bridge. I don't know if you've ever seen, well, if you've ever seen the Mackinac Bridge or if you've ever seen this documentary. Um, it, it was just, it's fascinating to me. It's a fascinating structure, the whole thing. It is, uh, I think they said the third 
largest, uh, longest span of a suspension bridge. And I'm just taking their word for it. I didn't go out and measure any of them. Um, you know, so we just take the word of whatever we find online. Yeah, that's a good source. Anyway, um, you know, the, I remember crossing that road with the, with the family, you know, and the girls, uh, and Pete were younger. And as we were crossing it, I told them, I said, look down. Because if you've ever been on, on, uh, Mackinac Bridge, the two center lanes are grading where you can see through. The two outer lanes are paved and the two inner lanes uh, are grading that you can see through. And they did that uh, for wind control, actually. And it was I found that interesting, too, because as I was reading about this, uh, two cars have blown off of I've been blown off of uh, off of the bridge, and I thought I shouldn't have been in that center lane. Uh, particularly, one was a Yugo. We we, we won't go there, but um, blew it right off. You know, blew it right off, and that would have been. Uh, I, I heard the falls not so bad. It's that sudden landing, but that's another story. Uh, they, so you know, we told them. I said, look down as as we're going over this bridge, because I remember as a kid going to my grandparents' house, and we would go on this one bridge over the Little Calumet River. And it was open grading. And I remember always being just a little bit terrified by that. You know, it's kind of like, who thought this was a good idea? I mean, who th-? So we're going over and my, you know, the girls looked out and they agreed with me. Who thought this was a good idea, uh, you know, to, to do that? And, um, but their dad thought it was a good idea to, to startle them. You know, so uh, we did that. Um, and also I found it interesting, the, uh, the bridge is designed to sway 35 feet in the wind. They said when there's a strong wind, it can blow that bridge, the center of that bridge, sideways 35 feet. And I just thought the lower... You know, the lower part of Michigan is fine with me. I don't need to go to the northern part of, of Michigan anymore. Um, it's suspended. This is a picture of the bridge. And it's suspended by a lot of, you see the, the, the big cables going up, but then it's suspended by a lot of little cables there. And really, those little cables, uh, they're almost overlooked as you go through, as you go over that bridge and, and you're on that span there. Uh, the, you're, you're, your attention is drawn to those big high towers and those the the big suspension cables you know that are in there and i looked up a few other facts on on the bridge and there are 4,851,700 steel rivets i'm not sure who went and put the little black mark on each one as they were counting them but somebody apparently has so in addition to those 4.8 million steel rivets there are 1,016,600 steel bolts in that bridge and all of them uh you know are are you know it's it's all but unnoticed those cables you know you might you might see as you're going the rivets the bolts uh they're almost unnoticed but they are the things that hold that bridge together and they are the things that make that bridge a functioning bridge they are the things that make that bridge work I was thinking about that as I was going over the passage that we're looking at, that we're going to be, well, really the person we're going to be looking at. You know, we've been looking at the, we started looking at the 12 apostles, and uh, today we're going to look at Andrew. And Andrew is, um, 
one of those guys who kind of slips in the back. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about this bridge, and it just reminded me of really the church. Now, when I say the church, I mean all of those who have a relationship with Christ and all of those who who, who know, you know, who Christ is. And it, it's really that, that that church is supported, it's held together by, by, you know, really many important yet unnoticed people, just like those bolts and those rivets. And I thought, which rivet would I want to do without? None. I've been on that bridge. Keep them all in there, in my opinion. You know, keep them all. Um, because as soon as you take one out, you see then the others begin to take more strain. And that's that's where the problem comes in. Um, as, as I was working on this sermon, I also watched one of, of uh, this bridge in Tacoma. They called it the... Uh, dancing Lizzie or something like that. Anyway, it was in the 40s, and it was built and very similar looking to uh, Mackinac Bridge. Um, but it was they didn't they didn't spend as much money as they could. This was the thing of you know low bidders won, and low bidders had a low idea, and it actually started blowing and, uh, and bouncing and swaying and. One cable snapped, and after one cable snapped, one bolt broke, and then th- this whole bridge came down. So when I think about, you know, which one would I want to none? And when I think about the church and I think about this, and sometimes we think, you know, well, I'm not noticed much. We think that, you know, that I, I don't make much difference. But it really does when you think of the whole structure of things and what brings strength to the church as a whole are really all of those unseen, uh, un- somewhat unknown people. Uh, we are all some of those some of those people, and today we're going to look and learn. I hope as we look at Andrew, uh, his call, his his life, his walk with Christ, and um, not only what a difference he made, but what what a challenge it really should be to us. Let's pray. We're going to get into this a little bit more. Father, thank you for those who have gone before. When I think of some of the people that have made a difference in my life. Uh, not, not real well known, not not famous. They don't have monuments, statues. They don't have anything named after them. They, uh, but yet, man, they really impacted my life, and what a difference that made. And that we all here, we have that privilege of being part of your your body here on earth, the church, and to minister and to serve, to each do our part. That it might indeed perform a function for which you called, that of making disciples, helping others to come to know you. So teach us as we look into your word, as we see how you worked with Andrew, what you did in and through him, and how that really should serve as an example, a witness, a a challenge for us also uh, to be serving you well, we pray. So give us that guidance, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The disciples are, are kind of grouped into uh, three groups of four as you read through different passages. And Andrew is part of what we sometimes think of as that closest group of four where um, we talk about a closer group of three. Andrew is part of that, but uh, not always as prominent as, uh, well, his brother Peter we looked at last week. And then you have James and John, the sons of thunder. <laughs> so think about this. You're, you're one of four. Uh, one is One is Peter. One is run ahead, jump ahead, speak first, think later, Peter. And the other two are referred to as the sons of thunder. Well, where does that leave you? What kind of leaves you as the guy in, you know, in the background there? And that's what it was uh, for Andrew. He wasn't, at, it seems, he wasn't at, a, at some of the um, 
incidents that some of the, that the other three were at, at least he's not named, the transfiguration he's not named as being there and stuff. And I always wonder if he was standing in back and then when he read the Gospels later said, hey, 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 I was there. You know, but anyway, uh, that's just not the kind of guy he was. Um, the guys in this in this group, at least the first three, um, uh, James, John, and, and Peter, they certainly were ones who uh, wanted to be leaders. We see them arguing. We looked a little bit at that last week. We see them arguing about which one's the greatest. More than once they had that argument. Jesus was training them for ministry. He called them. He had a reason. He had a purpose. He had important leadership roles that he wanted them to fulfill in the early church, and they did. Uh, Andrew, even though he's the least prominent of, of that group of four, he's, you know, kind of lived in the shadow of his more boisterous and uh, brother of Peter there, but it seems without the resentment that can sometimes come uh, from a situation like that. Uh, you know, the uh, we were at a family wedding yesterday, and uh, we got to see some family from Florida that's uh, not usually in and and up there. And as we walked in, uh, one of our nephews came and hugged Ginny, and I told her later, I said, it's a good thing he came to you first, because if he would have come up to me, I wasn't quite sure I would, uh, would have remembered who that was. Um, because he is—he's the uh, one of three children in, in uh, Jenny's brother's family, and the oldest one, you know, we knew, you know, he's is the more boisterous one without question. He's the one that's out there and up front, and uh, he was actually the one that that I saw first, and you know, he's coming up to me, and uh, then the, uh, Daniel went up to Jenny, and um, you know, you can get sometimes can get lost in your in your brother's shadow um it was good for me to see the two of them interacting and see that you know that really isn't a part of their life either that competition at least not now i'm sure it was when they were younger but andrew had that older brother uh, and when andrew met jesus uh, really andrew was already he was a very devout man in search of the messiah now those two qualities go together if you are devout, you are searching, you know, and he was searching for the Messiah. It made a difference. You see, when you, you can be religious is one thing, but being devout, being someone who is, would we think a devout committed to and committed to Christ, there is actions that go with there. And, and he was doing that. He was searching for the Messiah. He started out, Andrew started as, well, in the biblical record of what we see, he started out as a disciple of John the Baptist, a disciple just being one who followed him, one who was learning from him, committed to that. Uh, John the Baptist, if you recall, he was a bit of a, um, individual. He was a bit of a, you know, of more of a rugged individualistic man. Matthew 3 gives us a little bit of an insight into that. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that is very much a message of a prophet of calling God's people back to a life lived with God. And here he is saying, repent, turn around, get back to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. He says, for he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make his paths straight. And then the original hippie John himself had a camel hair, uh, a camel hair garment. And I was just thinking, man, it makes my back itch. With a leather belt, that's good for me, around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. You ever see locusts? 
When Marcy was in um, seventh grade, it was one of the years that the 17-year locust came out. We were still in Chicago. Uh, and I just remember they were out. They look, you know, they just look like the biggest house fly you've ever seen in your life. In Marcy's science class, the teacher said, um, <laughs> you could earn extra credit if you needed to by eating locust. He cooked some for them, and those were worth lesser points than if you ate the uh, raw, shall we say, ones. Marcy was very grateful at that point that she did listen to her mother, at least, and did her homework and did her stuff, and her grade was okay, and she didn't need extra points, but her friend, her good friend Jillian, did. So Jillian um, popped in a a locust, and this is the part where Marcy sometimes follows her dad rather than her mom. And as Jillian is eating it, Marcy goes, ooh, it's green, you know, and and that was it for Jillian. So much for the extra credit. Um, You know, but eating locusts and wild honey. I'll go for the honey, but... I don't care how much honey you put on locusts, uh, I'm, that, it's just not for me. Uh, you know, you had to be a bit rugged yourself to be a disciple of John the Baptist. To be one who learned, a disciple learned by living with him, by following him, by not only taking in what, you know, not only taking in what he had to say, but really adopting even some of his, I wouldn't have adopted that habit, but adopting some of what they do and some of how they live their life, not you know, not to follow them, but to help you learn and to help you draw and to see what it is for that. And here's where Andrew was. Now, his calling, his personal encounter with Christ took place several months uh, after after Jesus' baptism. Turn, turn to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend some time here and uh, really draw a few things. Um, and, and this, it seems that, that um, Andrew was one of the first two disciples... Uh, to be called really to come and follow Jesus. John chapter 1 and drop down to verse 29. That's where I'm going to start. If you're again in the Pew Bible, it's page 976. Uh, this is, you know, this is that encounter, um, where, where they, they are realizing more who he is. Verse 29, it says, the next day, John, this being John the Baptist, not John the author of the gospel, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Verse 35, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Remember, this was his this was his calling. His calling was to prepare the way. His calling was to point out who Jesus was. And this is exactly what he does there for two of his disciples. Verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? 
They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you will see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. That's a, that's a detail of, of, of it that gives us a hint as to who the second one was. Uh, you know, probably John, the author of the gospel here. Is probably the second one. Verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Well, Andrew here, you get that picture. He's the disciple of John the Baptist. John's message was to repent because the Messiah, the Christ, was coming. That he was coming, and this is who he was to point out. John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Messiah. And he's preparing the way, and he's pointing out who it was. And he baptizes Jesus. It's revealed to them, to him then, who Jesus was. He talks about it here, and he says, this is what happened, you know, and, and this is who Jesus was. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one I've been talking about. He's the one we've been preparing the way for. And his disciples are still kind of sticking with him. The next day, he says, he sees Jesus as he's going by. Jesus is ministering there. And as Jesus is ministering in the area, he says, there he is, guys. You know, there, there's the one. There's the Lamb of God. And so his disciples, really did what he was teaching them. He was teaching them not to follow himself, but to understand that the Messiah was coming and that they were to follow him. So they, they leave and they go and they go to follow him. And, and so, you know, he's identified there and, and John is, as he's teaching them and they go, they follow Jesus. Now, you know, this was two days in a row because it says the next day, and as he refers to him as a lamb of God, a title packed with meaning for the Jewish people. When he says, here's the Lamb of God, and, and bing, 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 some things are starting to fall into place, you know. It's like, you know, and all these connections are starting to be made for him. And it's like, Lamb of God, who I know the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. We, we sacrifice the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, you know, and it draws them back to that whole Passover celebration, which was a, which was a big deal for them every year and every year. And then this Lamb was slain and the blood was applied and, and this very dramatic thing for them. And year after year, and then they were told that they, were told the story and relayed that story about how God delivered their people from slavery in Egypt because of this. So when he says the Lamb of God, all of this stuff is is flooding in on them. You know, a lot more than than it does for us. You know, they to them it was just huge to the Jewish mind that this guy was, you know, he's the Lamb of God. Well, it says Andrew was one of the disciples standing with John when John identifies him again as the Messiah and Andrew took action on what he learned from his teacher, John the Baptist, and what he learned from his teacher then, and he followed Jesus that day, and he is now learning from Jesus. A, a, a real follower, you see, a real follower, a disciple, begins living what they're learning. Andrew began, well, I guess I would say, continued living what he was learning. That's what a disciple does. That's what a follower does. When somebody says, you know, that, that they, that they follow Christ, that they're a Christian, that they are His, they begin living then what it is they're learning. Not just pulling more stuff in. And it says it got to the end of the day and Andrew asked Jesus where he was staying. Because, you see, at that point they weren't following Him 
full time. It was, you know, and, and he needed to be able to find, and, and well, it says then he went to find his brother Andrews, or Andrew, he was Andrew. He went to find his, his brother uh, Simon, and so he was going to, he wanted to be able to connect the two. He goes and he finds his brother Simon, you know, Peter, and tells Simon about finding the Messiah there. Now, Andrew and Peter, they were, you know, brothers and they were in a fishing business together. They had this, you know, that's how they made their living. And they weren't, at this point, they were not following Jesus full time. They went back to their fishing. They followed Jesus as time permitted. This is how the disciples started. They followed him as time permitted. Why? Well, you know, God got to eat. And they, you know, so they were still making a living here and, and doing that. This is how, this is how it was that, that Jesus found them cleaning their nets. We looked at that in Luke 5 as they were cleaning their nets and Jesus was teaching and what were they doing? They weren't following him. They weren't with him at that point. They had been fishing. They were cleaning their nets. So as Jesus comes by and they're out there cleaning their nets and he steps into their boat, says, push out a little way, you know, and I'm going to teach these folks. And so that's what they, they weren't following him full time. You see, they were right there doing their fishing thing. And so that's what was happening. And, you know, they, they interacted there. It wasn't unusual. This was a, not unusual for Andrew at all. He goes and finds his brother. brother. He, was, he was the one we see over and over again in, in, the, in the Scripture here, personally introducing others to Jesus. Now he knew his brother, and he knew his brother Peter was a take-charge kind of character, yet he brought Peter to Jesus anyway, even though he probably realized... Peter's gonna, you know, Peter's gonna be the one that gets the attention here. Uh, but he he brought him to Jesus. And here's what I would tell you, you know, don't let others' personalities keep you from telling them about Jesus. And I would say here, even the annoying ones, tell them about Jesus. As I was working on this, I was thinking. I was one of the annoying ones. When we were at the wedding last night, Jenny's brother lives in Florida was uh, was there, and a few years ago, he, he was her brother uh, Gene. His her brother uh, Eugene. His brother, her brother is. Uh, he came to the Bible study at our house for a while and stuff, and. That was read, led by Randy and Gene Bolton. I've told you guys about that before. Well, several years ago, he and his wife were in a sports store down in Florida, and somebody comes up to, you know, comes up to our sister-in-law, Deb, and starts talking to her uh, about this timeshare thing. Yeah, we'll try that, she says. And he said, I never would have done that. So they find themselves in Gatlinburg at a timeshare at, for a few days. Uh, they were driving around looking for this waterfall. They couldn't find it. He pulls into the uh, uh, forest service, the, uh, you know, the Smokey the Bear people, uh, their information thing there. And he pulls in and he's talking. He, he says, I'm looking for whatever this waterfall is. And he said he's got a map out and stuff. And so this lady comes over to help him and tells her what he's looking for. And he says, as he's doing it, and he glances up and he looks at her name tag and says, Jean. He says, Gene Boltema? 
yeah, it was her, you know. And so they, here they he sends us this picture. Look who I found, you know, and stuff. And he was telling me yesterday. He said, you know, the, the two people, two of the people who have made who made such a huge difference in his life and a huge difference in Christianity. He says, Randy and Jean Baltimore. You know, and, and you know, people, you know, that you that you that you think uh, there's some of those people in the background. Uh, Randy was a cement worker, you know, and, and Jean was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, just people in the background. They have impacted so many people. But it wasn't only, you know, Eugene that they impacted. It was Ginny and I. And I was the annoying one. That they didn't let my personality stop them from telling me about Jesus. Don't let that happen to you. Don't you know? Don't don't stay away from people because you know if they need to know you, you need to tell them. You know you need to be able to. Don't let something like that keep you from them. Well, John the Baptist was an irritant to some people, and he was arrested because he irritated uh, the governor's wife by calling out their sin. (laughs) You get the picture as you're reading through the scripture, and that he was he was standing there and yelling. You took your brother's wife, you know, and um, um, well, the uh, you know the new missus, you know, didn't like that so much, and so John the Baptist was arrested. And when that happened, then Jesus withdraws from Nazareth. He goes to Galilee, specifically, we're told he goes to the town of Capernaum, and he begins to preach a message there of repentance and the kingdom of heaven that had come. Andrew and Simon lived in Capernaum, and that's where their fishing business was. That's the, they fished out of there, and they would encounter more. They would encounter Jesus more regularly now, you know, because they're all in the same town. Teaching from their boats was just one of those times. After the, you know, after the first several encounters, probably others which aren't recorded in the scripture, a transition happens. Matthew chapter four has that for us. It says, as he was walking. Along the Sea of Galilee, that's Jesus. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, that's where they were fishing there in Capernaum, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. They had already met Jesus. We already looked at that, you know, in John chapter 1. They had already met Jesus, but they weren't following him full time. They were back doing what they did. They were fishermen. And they went back there. And then it says, you know, follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Sometimes we read that, we, we read that and we think, well, this is the first time I never saw me walk by. He said, follow me. Hey, sounds good to be. And they toss their nets in the air and they walk away. That's not the picture. The picture is they had, they were follow, you know, uh, Andrew was a follower, uh, a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed out who Jesus was. He began following Jesus. He bring, he brings his brother to see him. They, they were hearing and they got interacting with him, went back and did their, you know, their fishing things. And as time permitted, then they would go and they would listen to Jesus back to the fishing thing. Well, then Jesus comes and he begins ministering in the same town they are, a little easier than to connect and to see these things, but still got to be fishing. So they're going back and fishing. And then as they're fishing, then after all of these years, well, uh, some, some of the uh, people, uh, scholars think that it was probably a year and a half that that went on and you know after about a year and a half of that then uh, jesus comes by not the first time they met but the first time he called them there to that full-time following 
And when it says they left their nets, it doesn't mean they just dropped everything and walked away. Certainly they could have. What it means is that they left that, they stepped away from that full-time gig of, of fishing, and then they, they, they did this full-time thing of following and walking with Jesus. We see a little bit more expand on this picture in Luke chapter 5. It gives us a fuller picture, you know, with the miraculous catch of fish and everything that went on and Peter and Andrew. Even though Luke doesn't mention Andrew here, we, we see him here. This is their transition into following Jesus as they had, you know, been going back and forth between the fishing business. Now it's a deeper commitment. They're taking that step of following him on a full-time basis. They immediately there, they immersed themselves in learning all they could from living with Jesus. They wanted to get in as much as they could. They wanted to be exposed as, as much as they could. They didn't want to miss a thing. They realized that they needed to step it up a little bit. There's a challenge for us to consider. You know, that, that's a challenge for us to consider. How much time are we actually giving Jesus? How much time how much time are we actually giving him? Now, we like to say, you know, that we've given him, we've given him our whole life. I'm not disputing that. I'm, I'm not disputing that at all. You know, you know, we can say we've given him our whole life. I am simply saying we could look at ways in which we could give more time to learning from Jesus each day. Now, realize, giving more time will not automatically happen. You will have to intentionally open up time in your day for Jesus. You have to intentionally open up that time. It does not happen. Maybe it will mean getting up a little bit earlier for you. Maybe, you know, maybe it will mean watching less TV. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, it'll, it'll be, you know, perhaps reading or praying during your lunch break. I remember when I first became a Christian in, you know, the, the millwright welding work I was doing then. Our normal work week, my normal work week was 64 hours a week, and we went up from there. You know, we, we added, we added more hours to the 64 hours a week that was our normal schedule. And I remember, you know, we went to Bible study on Monday, and I, I made, I'd like to tell you I made every single one. I made the vast majority of those, uh, you know, but then the other days, you know, we, I was I was working late, and you know we're doing these things. I thought, and I, I brought a Bible to, I said to the office, to the shop. I wrapped it in plastic, you know, because I didn't want it to get greasy um, and and things. And so, and I at, at lunch and at break time, then I would I would sometimes I would sit there and I would I would read, you know, and I would pray, uh, just because I needed you know I needed I needed more of that time. Uh, you know, maybe it means listening to the Bible while you're driving places, while you're doing things. In the morning, Jenny's listening to the Bible while she's getting ready, uh, you know, for school and, and things. Uh, you know, think, what you need to realize is giving more time to Jesus won't automatically happen. You cannot make more time. That is way beyond your pay grade, just the thought for you there it is way beyond what you can do you are going to have to intentionally open up time in your day for jesus you are going to have to intentionally do that for me i told you before for me now what, what's working for me now is i i have to get up earlier i get, have to get up earlier to do that you know in order to do that and and even on the days that you know i have something 
on Tuesday mornings, I meet with a group of guys, you know, at six o'clock in the morning. So what I do is I get up at five o'clock in the morning so that I have some time to read before I go to meet them. Because I know that sometimes I'll just forget about it. How can you forget about it? Well, you know, easy. For one, I'm easily distracted. You probably noticed that. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the life, life gets going and I have to intentionally make time. And this is what they're doing here. You know, as Andrew came to realize who Jesus is, you know, then uh, he's the one we see connecting individuals to Jesus because uh, he knew the importance of each individual coming to know Christ. That's something we need to have direct to us more. The importance of each individual coming to Christ. We saw there in John chapter 1, Andrew's first action, it says, coming to know Jesus for himself was to connect his brother. One individual. He connect, first thing he did, one individual, his brother, and he comes and he connects him to Jesus. Later, Jesus is ministering to a crowd of thousands and his, you know, disciples uh, told Jesus that these, these, uh, people need food. Uh, so Jesus tells him, hey, you know, we've we got to find some food for these guys. And uh, Philip says, uh, uh, don't know if you noticed, Jesus, but, you know, 200 denarii wouldn't, you know, that much bread would not be enough to feed these guys, that they might even have a little, that they might even have a scrap. Uh, you know, uh, most of the disciples here, they were overwhelmed by the sheer number of people. Send them to town. You know, tell them, go, go down, you know, go to, go find something, go buy something. You guys are on your own. Uh, you know, Andrew though, Andrew notices one little guy. Well, we always refer to him as a little guy. He could have been eight feet tall. I don't know. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? You see, Philip was overwhelmed and he couldn't see the answer. Philip could not meet the challenge. But you know what? Andrew couldn't meet the challenge either. He couldn't meet the challenge either. It was a huge crowd. None of these guys could meet the challenge of the huge crowd. But Andrew, Andrew's outlook, noticed an individual. And he brought that individual to Jesus the one who could meet the challenge. He brought this, this young guy to Jesus. We need to stop trying to meet challenges on our own strength and with our own wisdom. We sometimes just think, you know, it's our own strength and our own wisdom. And we need, we, what we need to do is we need to be bringing them, we need to be bringing them to the Lord. We need to be bringing them to Him. And Andrew here, he, he seems to know he's not wasting Jesus' time in bringing what seems to be such an insignificant gift. He seems to sense he's not wasting Jesus' time at all. You see, because he realized it's not the magnitude of the gift, but rather it's the magnitude of the God to whom that gift is given. You don't use that as an excuse to give less. You use that as an excuse not to be stymied by what you see as overwhelming odds. Because we serve a God who, whose magnitude is so huge that he can do something. About, he can do things. Jesus took what was offered. Now, he not only met the need, he did more than they could ever ask or imagine. We're told, as you, as you continue reading that passage, that they, five, five loaves, two fish. Basically a sack lunch. Uh, so, he, they, you know, they picked up 12 basketfuls of scrap, it says. 
I found it interesting. I'm just picturing Jesus, you know, handing out each one of each one of these apostles, each one of these guys he was calling into leadership. And he's handing them a basket and he's I you know, it doesn't say it, but it's to me it's you go you need to see this. Go pick up the scraps. You need to see this. Go you need to you know, you you guys need to see this. And he sent them out and they pull up twelve basketfuls of scraps. A bit later, uh, a group of Greeks wanted to meet Jesus. In John chapter 12, it says, now, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So Philip, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida. There was a connection for them there in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now these Greeks, they were probably Gentiles, uh, now, they were at the Jewish festival, so quite possibly they were converts to Judaism. We're not told a whole lot about them except the fact that they came here. They had heard about Jesus and they wanted to meet him. Now, whatever, you know, whatever the reason was, uh, that they wanted to meet him and whatever was going on there, Philip knew that Andrew could connect these people to Jesus. You see, it, it, why, there, there was Andrew's outlook there. You know, no, you know, just know that your outlook will affect your decisions and it will affect your actions. You know, your outlook will. And for whatever reason, Philip's outlook was that, you know, he couldn't really bring them to Jesus, but Andrew, you know, he knew Andrew would, so he, he saw the importance and he, he brings this connection. Andrew noticed individuals and he wondered about the possibilities. What a great outlook. You know, he just wondered. We need to notice people and imagine the possibilities if they come to meet Jesus. Imagine the possibilities if they can come and meet Jesus. Help people meet Jesus. Help. They'll get transformed right before your eyes. Well, the most effective way uh, in your outline there, that the most effective way for people to come to a relationship with Christ is through individual contact. Most people hear about Jesus, you know, from another individual, not through sermons, not through big campaigns. Uh, you know, certainly those have their place, but even those, you know, they're fine. But even those, you know, those individuals are probably there because an individual spoke to them and invited them to come there. And it's that contact. Peter, we're told, preached to a large crowd at Pentecost. Thousands came to a relationship with Christ that day. We have no indication at all that Andrew ever preached to any crowd at all. We have no indication that he ever shared, you know, with a large crowd, but we know that he touched individuals. And we know that he individually helped his brother, Simon. He helped his brother, Peter, come to know Jesus. And Peter then shared that truth with thousands on Pentecost. Small parts working together with big results. Edward Kimball was a, was a Sunday school teacher that, that spoke to this shoe salesman who started coming to a Sunday school class, D.L. Moody. And he knew Moody needed to know Christ, and he went and ta- talked to him. It says he was terrified that day to go to talk to Moody, was afraid he'd say the wrong things and stuff. And he went and, you know, he talked to D.L. Moody, who was a bumbling, he came across as a bumbling, uneducated fellow. In fact, the first few times Moody wanted to join his church, they wouldn't let him. <laughs> um, but at any rate, yeah, again, touched thousands. Andrew clearly had a hand in those thousands coming to know Jesus. Edward Kimball had a hand in the thousands that Moody shared with. 
Uh, Andrew's only mentioned once outside of the Gospels. He's in a list of the apostles in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 before Pentecost. Uh, he's not mentioned after that in the Bible. Now, tradition says that Andrew went north and that he led a Roman provincial governor's wife to a relationship with Christ, and the governor uh, took exception to that, demanded that his wife recant uh, her, her uh, expression of Christ, and she refused to do that. So in his anger, the governor ordered that Andrew be crucified. And in order to increase the amount of torture, the governor had Andrew tied to an X-shaped cross as opposed to nailed to a traditional cross. And I said he hung on that cross for two days, suffering and slowly dying. But as he did that, it said to everyone that passed by, he told them about Christ. I thought, what a, what a great thing, you know. Uh, went through his life in the shadow of his brother, uh, some of the other apostles, unnoticed by many. It's a lot like us. You know, but he was used by God to help turn the world upside down. The difference of a life lived with Jesus. Something God is calling us to. The difference of our life lived with Jesus. Following him, invested for him, and touching others. Let's pray. Father, again, I just am reminded and think of those that you put in my life to touch me. Randy and Jean, my sister, uh, my pastor, the elders at our church, Henry Koval, my first Sunday school teacher. What a trip that was. I just thank you for the way you use these people in my life. That they were willing to follow you in such a way that it mattered to them that this annoying young guy didn't know Jesus. And they came and talked to me. And they told me about a God who loved me. Motivate us, Father, to realize we may not be the one that other people see up front. We may not be the one who gets to speak to hundreds, thousands. We may not be the one that other people will want to see and hear and follow. But it's not about us. It's about you. May we be some of the ones who follow you in such a way that others will be drawn to you and that others will come to know you and that others will realize what a great, loving God and Savior you truly are. Don't let us, don't let us look at the place and the position, but help us to look at the person, Jesus Christ whom we have the privilege of serving, living with, and living for. Guide us toward that, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen.